Well, welcome everybody. Sorry, I was doing a leadership live on another channel and it was one of those wonderful situations where you have to literally be in two places at once. So thanks to the magic of um, having my office only 10 feet away from this office. Um, Hi, Bill. Hi, JoLynn. How are you both today? Splendid. We're good. We're here. Sunny day. Beautiful day. A sunny day in California, a nice sunny day here in Washington, but cold. And Bill, you just got your power back on. It sounded like yeah. perfect timing. Murphy's oh Law. Oh, my gosh. I've been sitting here with my heart in my throat. <laughs> oh my Take a deep breath. You're, you're no. here among no, friends. No, we're good. Everything's good. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And I want to take a chance to thank everybody that's joining us on ACB Radio, on ACB Live events. Hi, everybody. Um, and I think I heard Larry there. Was that Larry that's doing yes. the streaming? Yeah, you did. Larry, thanks so much for pushing us out over ACB Radio Live. You're welcome. Events. Nice and to be And thanks to everybody here that's in our Zoom room right now that's joined us for this panel this afternoon. Uh, I am very excited uh, for this panel. Uh, my name is Tony Stevens. I should first start with the formalities of my own introduction of who is this person talking to you right now and sitting in front of a camera. And so my name is Tony Stevens. I'm the Director of Development for the American Council of Blind. I think I've had a chance to engage with a lot of our affiliate leaders, folks here, but if you're listening out somewhere with your... Uh, your slippers still on and your jammies underneath your blanket tent. Uh, hi there. Welcome. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. We're going to be talking about fundraising today, a very critical part of any organization that not a lot of people like to really dive into sometimes because it seems either mysterious or complex or, or difficult and, and, and that kind of thing that, you know, you love to be passionate about your organization. You love to go out and do the work, but sometimes it's a little bit tricky in the sense of having to Realize too, the, in order for the work to happen, you need to leave the lights on. And that sometimes means you got to go out and ask people. So what we're luckily going to be doing today is having more of a conversation with somebody who uh, is, is hands down a true uh, professional and expert in the craft in the field. Um, but what we want to try to do today is demystify, if, if you will, a bit of the fundraising world and the idea of development and raising money. And letting people know in a lot of ways, it's something that we all can do, and we all can do it easily. It doesn't take a lot of rocket science and hard work in order for us to help find people who will help sustain our organization. And so in that sense, what would be wonderful today is for everyone to leave. And in some sense, you may be the fundraising person in charge of fundraising for your organization. You may not be. But at the end of the day, I want us to learn about relationships. And know that sometimes relationships help build support. And with that support, we're able to sustain our organizations, depending on how people support you. And there's lots of different ways for support. So with me today, I have two wonderful panelists that's going to help us break that down. I don't even want to call them panelists. I want to call them guests and even friends. I like to call them friends, if I may, uh, because they're two outstanding people in this field that that have been really helping the organization from behind the scenes. So not only will we all learn a little bit about relationships today, but you'll get a little bit of glimpse as well about what's happening behind the scenes with ACB and our own fundraising. My first guest uh, works very closely with ACB in her role as assisting us with grant writing. And that's JoLynn Bailey-Page. Folks might know JoLynn from our normal conventions that we have in person because she's also the stage manager. So she's a familiar voice and face at our national conference and convention. And it was one of those things that pains us this past year to not come together in person. But Jill Lynn is still with us electronically all the way across the country. How are you doing, Jill Lynn? I'm just great. Enjoying the sunshine out here in California. 
Wonderful. Missing, and I'm, missing you all back east. So. I know. We wish you could be here with the conference with us, but we're glad you're here remotely as well. I've been attending to, every minute. Just to be here in spirit. Yeah. Uh, but not nearly as far as Joe Lynn, uh, just up the uh, Baltimore-Washington Parkway, if you will, uh, north of Washington, D.C., in the snow-covered uh, hills right now of Maryland, uh, is our next guest, Bill Reeder. Uh, Bill is a fantastic person. And with a fantastic story of his life, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of dive into that in a minute, Bill, if you don't mind, uh, and, and sharing a little bit about some of the context. But uh, you know, he's a professor and a dean at George Mason University, focuses on teaching nonprofit, and is is very well established in the fundraising field. And so, Bill has been on the advisory council for ACB, and has really, in a sense, been you know an outstanding uh, counsel and someone that we can go to to really give us guidance and advice. He's involved with sort of a major donor committee, and we'll talk a little bit about creating committees and ways you can sort of stand up groups to help advise you in fundraising. But Bill has been an excellent advisor, and I want to first start off, Bill, by saying thank you for all the support you've given ACB uh, and your wisdom and every other way that you've given to the organization. Uh, We're thankful to have you here this afternoon. And, you know, I think what would be wonderful is for us to start uh, talking a little bit about um, where we are right now, give me a sense for our listeners at home uh, what your space is like uh, and on this on this cold wintry day uh, here on this side. So, Bill, I'm going to throw it to you and paint the picture, if you will, just for a few seconds. Let's let's get to know what is the setting, and I imagine you're by some giant fire somewhere in the mountains. <laughs> well, I was. Um, it is a beautiful snowy day. Uh, I'm not far from Tony uh, geographically. Uh, we've had this kind of weird icy snow that's melting and freezing all at the same time. Um, you know, I did have my fire going, but I let it out. I had my heart in my throat for the last 30 minutes because for some strange reason, we lost power and I couldn't get online. But fortunately, we're back. So, And I'm really looking forward to uh, meeting everyone and learning other people's stories and seeing how I can help. Wonderful. And Joe Lynn, you mentioned the sun's already out, but where are you right now? Where, what is your space in your part of the country like right now? I am south of San Francisco, California, by about 10 or 15 miles, but I live in the hills. And so my my view from um, my town home overlooks San Francisco Bay, and I can see the buildings downtown when I'm out on my walk. But currently, um, I am perched uh, really up in the redwoods here my my home office is on the second floor and so the window behind me um is i'm cozily ensconced to be uh there are three redwood trees behind me and several off to my side so when i have the windows open i'm literally living with the birds and enjoying all the bird song and the sunshine but we get a lot of fog too so very often i'll feel and sense fog bank moving in through the pass in the mountains and through the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's a, a pretty varied environment, but quite beautiful, full of sound and smell. And I'm, I'm here in the sterile confines of the national office for the American Council of <laughs> Blind, but we're nestled in Northern Virginia, not far from the Potomac where it's a little melting snow today, but it's still some, some ice and snow and a, and a, and a crisp Northern Virginia blue sky today. You know, and thank you both for doing that, because what I want to do is I wanted to set the scene because it's hard that we're not together right now in person. And I want to transition our conversation to start off with talking about relationships. 
And it's, it's difficult, I know, because we're not all together in person. And the best way we feel like to create relationships is when we can sit down. When we sit down and if we break bread or if we just sit in conversations in a person's home or wherever they may be right now, and you're able to speak to them in a way, uh, if you're strangers, uh, that you begin to know each other. And so part of that is feeling comfortable. So thank you for sharing a little bit about your own life and your own homes right now and where you're at. Because my hope is everybody listening right now is beginning to feel comfortable because that's key in, in relationship building. Uh, finding a, a space where you can be with someone else and be comfortable and begin to get to know them more. Uh, I'd like to start off first with, with some, some questions. Uh, Bill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you first. And if you could just share a little bit about, because uh, you've had such an interesting life as a, as a, as a, as a vocal performer, uh, as someone who has worked in higher education and worked in philanthropy and worked all across the gamut and been all around the world, um, you know, uh, you, you meet a lot of people and, and those people are all different in a way that they have different roles in our life, different places people play in our own life in this drama that we have from birth till death. Talk to me a little bit about what relationship on the broad sense means to you. And then, I, and then from that, I'd like us to start moving in a sense of, of a relationship between a donor. Are they very different? Are they similar? But what does relationship mean to you, Bill? Um, I, I think the number one element of a good relationship is empathy and listening. That uh, understanding the other, of course, sometimes that comes so naturally because we're neighbors, we're friends, we're families, we're classmates, we're teammates. We have something that we share. Um, but as it as we move into uh, our working years, our adult years, and want to broaden our circle, uh, somehow really truly having the capacity for empathy and the curiosity, the interest in the other. And the two best, you mentioned one, but two of the best things for building relationships are breaking bread together and storytelling and telling people the story of our lives and asking them for the story of their lives. And uh, that generally sets the stage for, deeper conversations about things that we might do together that go beyond our uh, current situation or current circumstance. That's good. Very much, very much true in a sense that it's, it is the storytelling. Um, Joe Lynn, from your perspective, because sometimes we tell stories to individuals, but sometimes we have to tell stories to organizations as well, because you handle a lot of the grant writing. Is it a similar experience as well if, if, if when we talk about fundraising, we think of individuals, we think of individual donors in the sense of these relationships, like what Bill's talking about, right? People mm-hmm. to people. Um, people to organizations, can any of that still be true in a sense of, of how we as individuals can also talk to organizations and large foundations or something about storytelling? And Absolutely, because what you're doing is telling a collective story of a body of individuals, a group of, of connected souls and personalities and a common mission, common interests. Um, so that storytelling element, as Bill said, is critical. And you're, you're sharing yourself. And, and being in a good relationship also means being vulnerable and trusting. 
And when you establish a relationship with a grant maker, you are telling your story and you, you begin to establish that trust and bond. And that happens over a long period of time, just as, as cultivating a relationship with the donor. And it's, but again, it's that storytelling element. And I, I'm mindful or thinking of what we've done in ACB throughout the pandemic um, by finding our voices online. And, and even this leadership conference, it's uh, fostering voice, choice, and community. So it's a step-by-step process. And I would say that over the last year, ACB has found a new collective voice, but also enabled its members to find their own voices and share their stories. And now there is great strength coming out of that. So I think both with affiliates and with with the organization as a whole. So it's kind of just a a different use of that Mm -hmm. storytelling, but it's, you're still telling the same story and sharing, sharing yourself. And, you know, Tony, when you, when you think about fundraising, Mm-hmm. A lot of times it makes people get chilled and go cold, right? No, I know. No, no, I can't. I could never do that. Exactly. And I've been uh, in a situation where I've uh, raised funds for organizations now for all the better part of 40, 50 years. Oh. And, and it still makes me nervous. And I still get a little bit cold feet until I have really gotten to know the person. And once I have taken enough time to actually uh, not only understand who they are, what they're passionate about, what has affected them in their lives, now I have all kinds of ways to connect. And then we discover something that we do share, we do care about. And then I'm not begging them for money anymore. I'm asking them to join me in investing in a future that I already know means something to them. Uh, mo- much of my fundraising, is, as, as you and Jolyn both know, has been in the arts. And when I was a less experienced person, I would try and figure out, how do I open the conversation? Oh, I, I, I can't tell them I'm there to raise money. They'll, they'll slam down the phone or they won't agree to see me. But on the other hand, I don't want to pretend like I'm doing something else. And so I just stumbled across this way, gosh, a long time ago, 10, 15 years ago, where I always start my conversations in the arts by saying, are you a musician? Are you an artist? And I, I just then am quiet. And I have never had anybody say no. Hmm. I've had people say, well, my mother is or I have a daughter who's a really good singer, they'll start to tell me, they'll start to share with me something about that. And that's led in many, many cases then to, um, to fundraising. But you have to spend time with people. Otherwise, you really are nervous and probably for a good reason. You just haven't taken the time or you haven't created the situation where you can do the exchange of stories and get to know each other. Oftentimes the people that we can connect with are those, I mean, kind of immediately around us in a sense. I think of the enormous amount of volunteer support we've gotten from the organization this past year at ACB. And as well, uh, you know, they've given their time as volunteers, but they've also given in other ways through financial, um, through helping spread the word. 
Uh, talk a little bit about volunteers because those probably in our organizations can, can be the most immediate people because already there's a connection, right? And, and, and talk a little bit about volunteering and, and how that sort of is a, is a wonderful base, if you will, of creating a fundraising foundation because we all have volunteers, hopefully, in our organization. Jolene, you want to go first? Well, you could say it better. I would echo having worked under you and know how you, you, you were an excellent, you know, just the master at reaching out and, you, and helping volunteers to come together. So I'll defer to you on that. Well, you're very kind. But the, but truly, truly. The, uh, my, it took me a while to come to a technical understanding of why the volunteer is so important. And I read a book once by uh, Brian O'Connell, who was a great thinker about the nonprofit sector of the 20th century. And he said, well, in government, we get our mandate from the electorate and we count our success in votes. In business, we get our mandate from the generation of profit and we count our success in money. And he said, if you're not in government and not in business, then in his view, you got your mandate from volunteerism. And you count your success in volunteer satisfaction, volunteer enjoyment, and volunteer accomplishment. That was a light bulb for me because I thought I was running an arts organization and that my job was to put on concerts. But Mr. O'Connell said, no. Your job is to build a volunteer community, which will enable concerts to take place and to flourish. And when I learned to shift my gaze from the task at hand to the relationship building, everything else fell into place. And the, the power of the volunteer, people will donate and give things that you could never, ever purchase. Mm. And the sort of the, there's two ways that we talk about it, you know, in in simple ways, time, talent, treasure, work, wisdom, wealth. And that's the sequence. You, You find a job that you do together. You explore the attributes and the qualities and the, uh, the special things that a person wants to give. And then you talk about money. It's not the other way around. You don't start with the money. The money is there to make it possible to get all that work done. And so the sooner people volunteer, and that's why the special event is so valuable. It doesn't raise a lot of money. Sometimes it takes more work to do the event than it does the money it brings in. But it creates the relationships. And we need that. And then later on, we can sit down and ask people one-on-one, uh, to help us in more special ways. Bill, I have I have a question, a follow-on question. Um, when that dynamic is working, do you find then that very often volunteers will generate new ideas of their own and bring them back to you for you know to keep it rolling along? You make There's- me smile. Yes, and here's uh-huh. the here's the insight. And of course, I know we have many listeners who've got more experience even than I do. Uh, you don't just get the part of the person you want. You get the whole person. <laughs> Sometimes their ideas are just played crazy. But, and so you have to be prepared for that too. But 
at the end of the day, uh, you will get things that you just you had no way of knowing how important they were, which is also the meaning, true meaning of diversity. You know, we talk about it now in in uh, ethnic racial ways a lot of times, but it's age diversity, it's it's specialization diversity, all the different ways that people view their world and the values they bring. Um, that's the source, the wellspring. And it has no theoretical limit, which is its true power. But yes, you get the whole person, including yeah. the ideas that are kind of nutty sometimes. But sometimes they're springboards. You know? Oh my gosh. No, Many was, more I oftentimes. Was, yeah. I was Many more of, oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of the instruments in the attic program that came out of oh, yeah. someone who was involved just in, a, in Friends of the Center for the Arts. And that yeah. went on to to become an entity of its own. Well, and Tony, you mentioned that we naturally start with our people close to us. And that's where the volunteers then help because they have circles of relationships, which go beyond our own personal circles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I always try and build my volunteer base for an organization around what I call the magic 100 there are 100 key people. Sounds like a lot, but it's it's not the entire universe. It's it's just a specific number of people. And I know if I get 100 volunteers involved with me in the right way, that uh, chances are good that w- we'll flourish. And it's about a lot more than just money, as as everyone here on the radio already knows. Or it is. It is. Profound in a sense when I think of that, and that you said it's not just about the money. Um, and I love that you brought up Mr. O'Connell earlier, Brian O'Connell, um, who, who was a, one of the founders, for folks who don't know, of Independent Sector, uh, which is a big association for nonprofits. Um, they're a great resource for any affiliate leaders out there, uh, the organization, independentsector.org. But one thing they do, which I love, is they publish annually a, a dollar amount tied to volunteering. So they say, you know, a volunteer, if you have every hour of someone volunteering, it would equal in theory to this much money, like $13, $15, $19, whatever it is this year. And it kind of adjusts every year and they go through. But but I like this idea of, um, you know, the volunteering can be just a wonderful bedrock of wealth. You know, you ask people, someone, well, how are you doing and raising money? Um, and and it's that thing. I don't know if you've experienced this, JoLynn and, and Bill, in, in your spaces. But, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, we, we attribute um, the success of an organization by how much money, like you were talking about earlier, Bill. Um, but when we think of the value, that there is literally a value attached to our volunteers. Um, and do you think there is, in a sense of, of any correlation between strong volunteers and a direct line, Bill or Jill Lynn, to the fact that, you know, uh, you can put your volunteers and you can give them a number, which is fantastic. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, M&T Bank doesn't look at how many volunteers you have. Uh, you know, they look at other things as, as well as the people that you got to pay your bills to. Um, uh, an organization, can you think of organizations, I mean, that have uh, strong volunteer bases? Um, is that going to directly coincide in a sense with, with in, at least on the individual giving side of people that come in for individual donations and contributions? Is there any direct link? I mean, I'm, Sure, there probably is. I, I think larger. there is, but uh, Tony, your your example highlights the fact that it, it isn't only in isolation. 
that you still, and it changes over time as to what the, uh, what those relationships are in the beginning years, when you're a small enterprise with a circle of friends, it, it may uh, have a very different uh, outcome than when you're more advanced. And now you have committees and you have an organizational structure, you have an office you have to support. In other words, you have paid staff and all that. And so you have to have a good budget structure. You have to be a good steward of money. You have to be able to show that you are a steward of money as your influence expands and as your work expands. So at that point, it becomes also about strategic planning, about board development, about marketing. In other words, all of the other functions begin to come into play and development and its results while they're tied to volunteerism, are also part of this toolkit of organizational life. And it doesn't happen. It's not a light switch. It takes time, and and it's not a straight line either. You know, yeah. some things are f- making progress, and some things are collapsing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing dynamic. What I love most about Americans for the Blind from a, a um, just a, a – clerical standpoint is the word of Americans of, I like that word of because of implies to me we're in it together and that we have this connective tissue. Talk to me a little bit then if, and and to you as well, Jolyn, you know, volunteer can be a metric we've talked about of, of, strength right of an organization if you have good volunteering but it's not the all end all um there does take uh, obviously a, a number of other factors that have to play in towards successful fundraising we're not saying at all just go out and get volunteers and then boom everyone will start you know taking what they have to be able to give to you with some of that more sophisticated steps moving forward bill what let's say if we're an affiliate right now that doesn't have any paid staff um, but, you know, or maybe they might have one paid, you know, an executive director that runs a very small, you know, sort of maybe virtual office nowadays. Um, what are some of the ways to to begin to move towards a sense of growth? You feel like you have your volunteering is is really, really opportunity, opportunity wise growing. Um, but, you know, there are other things that need to be worked in and, and, and fostered and built. And Joe Lynn, I'll, I'll kind of throw it to you this time uh, in developing uh, some of these community relationships, not just with the individuals to volunteer, but to be able to get support from organizations that can help sort of help lift you up, give you seed money or, or help you get to that next level or that next stage um, of really trying to strengthen your organization, particularly around like community foundations is where I'm thinking right now, because if our affiliates are around the country on a local level, I think there's no better source probably talk a little bit about community foundations and that sort of idea of being able to get funding. We, we got lucky with a, a family foundation recently as well. And, and sort of they're about important too with your community foundations. I mean, they're public charities and they, they're typically they'll focus on giving in a geographical um, area and excuse me, I've got something in my eye here. And um, they're, they're, they're wonderful for local, local organizations because they, they have a sense of what's going on in the area. They are involved with businesses. They're involved with 
other other small nonprofits, but also with direct services to the public. Very often, their their issues involve housing, um, food security, racial justice, and in our case, it would be inclusion. You know, in, in disability. But they're great ways for volunteers to partner because people who sit on their on the community foundations board or get involved with the activities are directly lined with businesses. So even in even in say an affiliate, members may know someone at their bank who might be a, a board member of the foundation, um, even the libraries. But it's a great place to begin to tell your story, and um, they're very approachable. They're often interested in general operating, in other words, helping keep the lights on or in specific projects. But I would bet that every affiliate has some affinity with a mission of the local, one of the local community foundations. And, and even then, very approachable. And Bill, do you have, yeah. you want to hop in? Um, with- well, I, I've been in that look in that same place that you described, Tony, where I was the only person that was paid and didn't have staff yet. Um, and it's, it's not the easiest uh, journey to take, but many, 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 many people take it successfully, actually. I always found it helpful to actually get formal help. Um, when I first tried it, I went to a local college and I found a professor of nonprofit education and I recruited them as my first board member. <laughs> and I said, I don't need you to give me money. I need you to teach me how to build this so that I'm not alone anymore. Mm. Uh, The next step, and I probably shouldn't even tell this story, but I'm going to anyway. I was so desperate to get a certain kind of talent. And my little inner city uh, school was right next to a halfway house where people who were getting out of prison would be uh, introduced back into the community and I found out that there was a white collar crime guy who was a big time finance person. And I went next door and introduced myself. And I said, you know, we're desperate. We don't have anybody who knows anything about how to put finances together. Well, he was at such a dark place in his life, you know, coming back into society. He was thrilled, thrilled that somebody had reached out with any kind of kindness you know, he thought he was going to come back into the world and be a pariah. And uh, <laughs> that person knew so much about. So my point is, the things that you need are all around. And now I'm going to say the most obscure thing I've ever said. You have to change yourself first. If you if you find yourself in that situation and you want to change, then you have to do something different. And um, fortunately, as Jolyn was saying, uh, in virtually all parts of the United States now, there are tools and people and organizations and resources that can be called upon to help. Um, and and your funders are a, or potential funders are a good place to ask. Churches are a good place to ask. I've started several projects in the basement of a church. Um, You know, if you have business organizations here in D.C., we have something called Lawyers for the Arts. Mm -hmm. 
And oftentimes, you know, the best thing you can ask someone is to join your board and to be a, they've been waiting to be asked, but nobody did. And so the question is, well, what's the roadmap? And that's where people like Jolene and me and Tony come in. We, we've been working in this world, so we have roadmaps, and, and people like us are anxious to share them and hopefully share them in a way that doesn't make matters worse but actually helps. I'm hearing two things in my head with what you shared, Bill, and thanks for sharing that. Um, one is the realization that we can't do everything alone. And sometimes for, you know, when, when you maybe feel like the only officer that's showing up to meetings, you know, you're trying to get your board and they're all busy with life. Um, when you're feeling like, you know, you, and particularly we as people who are blind, I think psychologically go into this sometimes in order to be independent. Sometimes you just have to be really independent. And that sometimes doesn't lean itself as well to be able to say, I need help from other people to do this, right? And so when you're saying change yourself, I know for me, the hardest thing was changing myself, literally, to be able to say, I'm not the only person here. I need other people around to help me. Um, you know, this it, it takes time sometimes to build these relationships, like what we've been talking about over this course of this panel, this conversation. But yeah. I think in, in a large sense, though, those relationships can really help uh, pull together that team of people that can help you. Um, I, I want to start thinking a bit then, uh, what can we do easily, easy ways to to bring these people together? Uh, we've had such great success, you know, in starting up uh, a major donor, like a small donor advisory group. Bill's been fortunate to be part of that. Thank you, Bill. Um, but, you know, we have a couple of ACB members and, and uh, folks, you know, not, not a, one person that's not a member. Um, it's not blind, but he understands blindness very closely. Um, and, and it's, it's just a sounding board. It's a place where you can have conversations like what we're having now, uh, to be able to think of ideas, but also to be able to identify, um, you know, sometimes that craziest idea from someone else that might be a connection you're building and fostering and cultivating. It might be a really good idea. Um, when you come together as a group, talk a little bit about then, uh, Bill and Jolene, if you can, uh, on that group idea that, um, of, of bringing together people. Cause I want us to start thinking about the value. And this is for affiliates. Do you have a, a small committee similar to what we've been able to build at ACB or other places have built of folks around where you can talk specifically about these things? It doesn't need to be the people that go out and hit knock on doors and ask for money, but just to have these conversations on how we can get stronger. Um, that committee that, you know, let's call it a fundraising committee, if you will. But uh, your thoughts on that as a, as a step towards maybe uh, uh, reaching some sense of maturity, maybe. Jolene, you've worked with lots of committees. So what's what's your experience? Because they um, also say death by committee too. So yeah, death right. by committee, but but in terms of finding the resources, just starting with, for example, an affiliate, if you've got your your officers or just people, your key people in the um in the affiliate, when you identify your areas of need where you want to change, for example, if you need someone who knows more about finances or can can tap in. Everyone knows someone. Bill, you found this extraordinary individual at the halfway house, but there are also other ways to reach out, you know, to just brainstorm ideas. Who do you know in this area that you could bring in to just have a conversation with your group? And um, everyone knows someone else, for starters. And then you can ask from the outside, but also I, I don't know how often folks talk among themselves in terms of identifying their own 
uh, key talents. You know, do we even know? I mean, we sometimes learn learn about someone's gifts by something that emerges during a project. But it's an important conversation to have among your members is, what are your strengths? What do you know? Can you, can you help here? Or can you reach out to bring someone in? And I think finding a mentor mm-hmm. uh, is a good, good idea. And again, um, people who work in the nonprofit sector have a value of giving. And so the likelihood is greater than not that if an individual would reach out to someone who is more experienced and ask them to be a mentor, that they would say yes. And there are really good examples in almost every community of uh, affiliate and national enterprise. I think of PBS, public broadcasting, uh, your, your local affiliate public broadcasting has worked out how do we serve our community and also take advantage of our national uh, reach. Um, you know, but and, uh, I, again, I come, keep coming back to the faith community as a good place to go. Um, but businesses too. And uh, that's my usual thing is I look for a mentor somebody who's been there, knows the scene, has studied it, Um, educational settings, community colleges, universities. um, And, I mean, you know, the reason I'm involved with the American Council here is because, Jolynn, you and I knew each other, and you just asked me. And, Bill, it took a long time to work up the courage to ask because I thought, oh, he's just – He's done so much, and I, res- you know, and I do respect you. But the level of, of excellence you've achieved, I thought, I wonder if he'll have time. But I know your core values, and I felt, and this is again the matchmaking. I felt like it was might just work really well. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had an answer from Bill within a half an hour. I think I sent an email, and boom, and he said yes. And uh, well, and, and, and you can't predict this, but. Uh, you know, people go through life cycles, right? And I'm an older person. Um, I'm still working, but not as in as pressured a position as I was as I was as a younger person. And uh, as I prepare for my senior citizen years, I've kind of had to revisit um, what I want to do. And and I had already come to my own decision. I was going to try and volunteer for community-based organizations. And you didn't know that, but your I request. I, a little bird named Carol Tibani put it in my oh. ear. We were talking, and she just said, you know, Bill has been doing a lot. You know, I guess you had had a chat, or you'd made your interests known. But I thought, aha. Mm-hmm. But, but that's, that's going to be the case of many people. You know the, you know the largest growing body of volunteers now? Retired men. Hmm. Retired men. It it was always the homemaker, right? Women that were the heart and soul of volunteerism. They still are. But the retired men are crowded. You can't stand sitting still. Well, and people are, thank goodness, staying healthy longer. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you know want to want to be part of something that adds value. I, I love hearing that. I mean, first off, Joe Lynn, thanks for asking. I, I think the value to let people know it never hurts to ask. Um, I, and I would say ask sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, just take that leap and do it. And what happens though with the nose? Talk a little bit about the nose because we're we're guaranteed to get nose. Well, I make him say no three times. <laughs> and, and, and in other ways, though, I mean, the, the fact that there are there are hundreds of bills and Joe Lynn's out there right now, people out there right now that we can ask, you know, just because someone says no doesn't mean the right person. You, you know, I love an expression you say, Bill, that, that's kind of the, the recipe about right, the right at the right at the right at the right. Oh, right. right. Maybe mm-hmm. we can lead into that. But yeah. but before then, you know, just talking a little bit about, you know, how we navigate the nose. Well, no comes in lots of different ways, and and it's rarely because someone doesn't like what you do. It's it's because they have other things going on in their lives that simply don't make it the right time to be what we want. Um, where it's most telling in the fundraising world is when you have a very deep relationship with a major donor, somebody who you know has the ability to make transformational gifts. And as that relationship evolves, you suddenly realize they have more than one interest. That there is your thing, but the thing that would really fulfill their life's purpose isn't you. It's somebody else. It's something else. You have to have the courage to give it away. Because... It has to be truly volunteer. It can't be coerced. It won't work. So you're going to get no. Um, I hate no, but it does come. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then you could also try something else. You could say, well, you can't help me, but can I help you? <laughs> what can I do to help you? Um, another one is, and this is my learned this from a mentor. He said, never say we, we can't afford it. What you want to say is, well, we don't have the money right now, but if you'll help me get it, I'll lead the project. <laughs> so you come up with this, well, what can we do together that we couldn't do alone mentality? And then you just, it's, it's not the end of the world when they say no. Sometimes it's just not right now yeah. you know, for, for a round of grants or, or you might need to, as you said, change, change your focus slightly. And that's where you call the, the grant coordinator or the person at the foundation. And very often they'll, you can, you'll yeah. find out why it didn't succeed, but it's not, as you said, it's not because they don't like you. No. And fit matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, ironically, I've spent the last half of my career in rather large settings, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in large settings. And so I would rather be in smaller settings. So, but, but that's not true. If, if 20 years ago, I would have rather have been in a larger setting. So it changes over time. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about timing then and the, the right person um, Bill, you have a formula I love. Well, this I learned from my great fundraising. If anybody wants to study fundraising, uh, the epicenter of 
training is Indiana University in and in Indianapolis. It's Indianapolis Purdue University campus, and uh, they have the Center on Philanthropy that was created by the Lilly family, and um, the founder was a man named Henry Rosso, R-O-S-S-O, who really truly wasn't a genius, and he built the fundraising school, which I fortunately uh, attended. I, I have what's called a certificate in fundraising management, which literally anybody on this call can acquire. And the first thing Mr. Rosso taught us was a sentence. Well, his first thing was this. Fundraising is teaching people the joy of giving. That's the first thing he taught us. Mm -hmm. And then he had this little formula. The right person asking the right prospect for the right gift at the right time in the right way. The key is that word prospect, which isn't just a person. It's a person who can give at the level you need. In other words, they have the ability financially who is linked to you and interested. So it's not just random people. It's people who you know through some careful field work could make a gift in the range that you are seeking. But, and here's the key, they're linked and interested. Now, if you see them drive down the street in a Rolls Royce, well, you know they probably have the ability. But they're not interested in you. They don't know you. And so they're not a prospect. That person is a suspect. I suspect that they might be able <laughs> And so now I check with my circle of friends and I say, does anybody know that person that was driving that Rolls Royce? You do? Have you ever? Well, how do you know them? You do what? Any way I could join you for like a cup of, in other words, you got to create that linkage first. Mm-hmm. And then my teacher also said, you can lead a horse to water. Well, you got to make the prospects thirsty if you want them to drink. So and that's that's the real work. Asking the person for money, that that that's the tip of a big iceberg. The iceberg is that uh development, the cultivation. And uh anybody can do this, absolutely anybody. And when it comes to asking for the gift, until recently the largest gift in my work, the person who asked was so socially impaired that she was diagnosed as having a true disability. She could hardly talk in public. She was so severely handicapped in her social capabilities. And one day, her name was Kathleen. She comes into my office. I was president of the St. Louis Conservatory of Music. And Kathleen says in her quiet, quiet, quiet little voice, may I ask Peg for $5 million? Well, I knew who Peg was. Peg was the wealthiest woman in St. Louis. Her father had created 7-Up Corporation. And I said to Kathleen, well, tell me why. And she said, well, every Thursday for the last two years, I opened the back door of our music library 
and Peg and I shelved books together. No one knew that was happening except Kathleen. Well, we had gotten this uh, analysis of our library, and it was woefully, woefully, you know, underfunded, and it was going to cost $5 million to fix it. And, of course, we didn't have $5 million. Well, turns out Peg, who had $5 billion, uh, was sick and tired of always being asked for money. I mean, you can imagine what the richest woman in town's life must be like. Mm -hmm. And she wanted a quote-unquote real job. Well, the real job was what she did every Thursday afternoon with Kathleen. And when Kathleen told, and none of us knew that she was down there in the in the basement library. And when Kathleen told me, I said, well, you know, I think you probably should. Well, the library was named for Kathleen. And, of course, the $5 million check came in about three days. So the right person asking the right prospect for the right gift at the right time in the right way. I, the president of the conservatory, would have been the wrong person. And uh, so it's just uh, a very, very layered and mysterious dynamic of lining all those rights up. But as leaders in our organization, I think for us to be able to listen for that right person is critical. I mean, it could be, you know, the people that are volunteers now very well may, may be ones that could lead us towards that kind of success. And Absolutely. I, like, I like how you emphasized her coming to work in the library because that, in a sense, the way, right, how she was approached. Yeah. Well, that was her linkage yeah, and, and, and her interest. And her desire, I mean, it was easy for her to make the library whole, but her real desire was to honor her friend. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, what I've heard today, and I want us to go into some questions now, see if anybody has any questions. So go ahead and raise your hand. Our, our host will be uh, uh, checking and allowing folks to speak in a minute if you have any questions for Bill or Joe Lynn. Um, you know, I've heard relationships. For, well, first we started talking about stories and how we all have the story, right? And it's those stories that make us connected. That builds our relationships. Our relationships can help, in a sense, bring people on board if it's our volunteers. Uh, I've heard we don't need to do it all on our own. Uh, committees are great. If you don't have a fundraising committee, think about who you might be able to ask for one. And then, you know, your idea of the right person asking the right amount to the right prospect at the right time in the right way um, was very profound. And then uh, ways as well. I know, Jolene, you shared about community foundations. That takes time to build relationships, too, I know. Uh, we just got lucky with a, a family foundation, which are like community foundations in a lot of ways. They're sort of, you know, the culture um, that we've been thinking of ways for years. It took years to build a relationship, but then it finally uh, was a huge success. Thanks to the Gibney Foundation, uh, who will be funding support for our ACB community. Um, but, you know, in this sense of uh, where we're now, I just want to thank you both in, in sharing what you've shared. Uh, and let's take some time to go to questions and see what folks have uh, as we have the remaining time left together. Any questions, host? Yes. Uh, phone number ending in 163. You should be able to unmute. Hello, phone hey, number 163. It's Leslie. Leslie. Hi, Leslie. <laughs> hi, Tony. Hi, Bill. Hi, Jolene. Bill, good, good to hear you again. I'm sorry we're not in person, so I don't know if you remember me. I'm Dan's wife. So. Of course I do. <laughs> so, um, fearless chair of the auction committee. 
Yeah, 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 it's a great job. I, I, I love fundraising. You know how much I love fundraising, and it is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you. I do not like the word no. <laughs> so, uh, I try to, if, if somebody does say no to me, I've, I've asked them in a different way. Right. Um, I'll, wait a, I'll wait a day. So I learned this from one of my mentors. I'll wait a day and then ask them again. And sometimes they'll be like, well, we're not really sure. You know, so then that's not a no and that's not a yes. So then I'll wait a couple more days and I'll call them. And I'll say, so, you know, we're just getting back with you. How's it going? You know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden they'll say, well, we might be able to do this for you. And I'm like, great, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like children and ice cream. They say, hey, Grandpa, can I have some ice cream? You say, no. They say, but I really want some ice cream. Well, ask your grandmother. Uh huh. You know what I'm saying? So before they get their ice cream, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Eventually it works. So thanks again for all your work and all your help with ACB and Jolyn and Tony. Always, always great job. Thanks. Thank you, Leslie. Do we have another? uh, Any other questions? Yes. Yep. Judy Brown. Hi, Judy. Thanks for joining us. Judy, you should be able to unmute. Okay. Hi. Uh, yes, I'm actually calling uh, from Seattle, Washington State. Oh, wonderful. And um, so in absence of not having those type of connections sometimes, what do you all think about crowdsourcing platforms such as GoFundMe and those type of things? Because sometimes those connections that you're talking about not only are hard to make, but maybe are not fully existent in any in places right right now where we're socially distancing so it's very hard to meet new people and make those type of connections yeah well i think crowdsourcing is a relatively new phenomenon but it's 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 growing in its importance uh unlike anything that's ever been in my career uh i just did my taxes and i went through and looked at my uh, american express bill and i realized i gave away last year $1,200 in $50 chunks to all kinds of people who asked me for all kinds of money. And it was people from all over the place. And I just kept dribbling it out here and there. Um, And then there are some instances where really huge amounts of money have been raised through crowdsourcing. Mm -hmm. So it's at its beginning as a, as a vehicle fundraising, we call that a fundraising vehicle. And I think it's worth uh, investing in, and I would be really interested in learning about people's uh, success stories and what worked and how they were structured. Because I teach this in my classes, and this is front of mind, top of mind. Excellent. Thank you. I think we got time for maybe two more questions, and then we'll we'll final final thoughts from our our guests. Okay. Let's see, area code 301, phone number ending in 59. You should be allowed to unmute or talk. Okay, go back here, I think. Yes, good. Uh, my name is Reverend Lay Jason. I'm uh, with, um, in, in Maryland, Prince George County, Maryland. Now, I am African American black. And one of the things that you had mentioned about the school that I am interested in knowing more about, and I don't know if they're online now or the website or, or uh, you know, or, or, or how to go about finding about that. But this is what I want to ask. 
the athletes, uh, entertainers, and all. And for some reason, <laughs> and have you work with blacks, that we seem to be reluctant in doing fundraisers. And, and have you worked with black people or, or black individuals that you see why is there a difference in our reluctance to to be, be you know on fundraising to 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 fundraise money when there's so much out there in those different aspects of the community? Uh, so I like I like to know your feedback. Well, I, I can give you three insights from my own experience. Uh, one is that. Wealthy people, whether they're white or black, are a unique set of people. So whether they're really wealthy athletes or really wealthy business people, it doesn't matter if they're black or white. Uh, you, uh, you, they are a unique community, and you have to find a very unique way of approaching them. It's called major gifts, and people like that take a special strategy most of the time. The second thing is, is that I have um, two black students, both of whom live in Prince George's County right now, because I'm at George Mason University, which uh, we uh, our program is in Arlington. But because we're all online, uh, they're they're all around. So I'd be happy to uh, put you in contact with some uh, young people. Uh, they're always interested in. Um, volunteer opportunities in internships and so on. And uh, the thing that they bring is that they're learning how to put this puzzle together. But the other one is this, the most generous part of my career was when I lived and worked in Newark, New Jersey. And um, I was the only white person in this all black organization. And it was the most rewarding time of my entire professional life. Uh, I've never experienced such generosity of spirit and uh, support. Um, so I have a feeling really what you're expressing is not so much uh, restricted to the African-American community. Uh, I, your, your insights strike me as pretty much shared across the board, but I'm happy to work with you personally and help find some uh, some, you know, some new new blood if you're interested. And, and feel free to email me, A. Stevens, and I can help put you in touch with Bill. But it's A. Stevens at acb.org, A-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S at acb.org. Okay, do you want to take one more? We have Last one, and then we'll have to bid farewell. I have to jump on another panel. Myself. All right. Christine Hunsinger. Hey, Christine. Welcome. Hi, Christine. Okay. We can hear you just fine, Christine. And first off, thanks so much for your email a couple of weeks ago, Christine. Oh. I really appreciated it. But my go bad. ahead. What's your question? Okay. Um, my question. Oh, darn it. It did it again. Am I unmuted now? You're okay. fine. You're yes, good. We hear you. It laughed at me and told me I was muted again. No. But anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, um, you know, this, I, I don't know how to say this any better way, but this sounds really pie in the sky to me. I mean, I know that our organization, uh, Pennsylvania Council of the Blind, has you know, whatever amount of money we have in our um, investment accounts and whatever amount of money we have in our working account, whatever money we have in our endowment account. But we're usually more than $20,000 a year um, over on um, expenses versus um, 
you know, versus income. And, you know, the thing that is curious to me is we've got tons of, well, don't have tons of volunteers within the organization, but you really have to change a lot of people's mindsets when they're volunteering. I guess the question is, how do you get the people that don't, that, you know, we don't want to beg them what we do want them. And, and, and as you said at the very beginning, it's, it's join us in doing something rather than we're begging for your money. And, and I, I just like a little more concreteness to that. It's a process. And there are, there are tools which can begin to build that ladder from a culture of volunteerism into the culture of volunteerism leading to philanthropy. Um, it's unfortunately not just a conversation, as you already know. And I can tell you, yes, when you talk about it positively, it does sound like pie in the sky. And, and I have been exactly where you are in quite a number of times, not just once. And it really is uh, challenging. But there are tools, and um, that's been a little bit what uh, I've been able to share, you know, with Tony and others. And I'd be happy to um, make those tools available in as much as they do help. And, uh, you know, it's not just one thing. It's, it's very much dependent on the specifics of your community as to how it work. But people that are professionals and have done it, um, well, like anything else, you, you, you get some flexibility and some um, insight into what approaches are going to work when. So it's not a panacea, and, and I know that frustration that you just expressed. Well, and, and today has been a conversation, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal one from Joe Lynn and, and Bill ask you, um, if we can continue this conversation in ways that we can help bring some of these tools to our members and the people listening here today and watching here online and, and, you know, ways that we can maybe try to find some concrete ways to, to make it more real, Christine, for, for the anxieties and stresses you feel each day. So uh, I, I would be honored. And, and the, the beauty is now with this, you know, uh, interconnectivity and how everybody's gotten used to it, you don't have to drive around to do this work. We can connect and I would be, you know, as I said, really honored to uh, contribute in any way that is helpful. We're, we're deeply thankful for, for all so the much. time so far. And were you saying something, Jolyn? Sorry. I just said thank you. Yeah, no, by all means, yeah. Um, Jolyn, thank you to you as well and to Bill. Uh, this has been wonderful. It's been nice just to catch up with you all. I feel like I'm, I'm amidst the redwoods with the birds and amidst the icy uh, rolling hills of Maryland. <laughs> Uh, so thank you. Um, I'm, I'm going to wish you both to be safe. I have to go jump on a whole other channel now to, to give another panel. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in and those that joined us today. Feel free to shoot me an email and we can try to get in touch with uh, Bill and we'll be sending out other information on ways that we can get like these tools or have this conversation continued uh, with ACB and with all of you listening in today and watching today. Um, nice to meet you. Thank everybody. you both. Uh, you Thank can email you. me at a stevens at acb.org, A-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S at acb.org. And we'll happily uh, put you in touch and uh, find ways to try to help you. We are here to serve our members, right? So remember that. Don't be afraid to ask us for ways that we can help you raise money in your affiliates because uh, your success is our success. And most importantly, it's the success for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. So 
Thanks, everybody. Be well and stay safe. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bill and Jolyn, thank you all so much. I apologize I have to run. I want to give you a big virtual bear hug. um, We'll we'll be talking soon. And everybody listening in now, you be safe and be well. So thanks, thanks, everyone, for being here. Take care. Bye now.